What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. We have a really fun episode today. A very special guest. A very us. special guest, and, the, and, and you can kind of tell because I've been sort of teasing, not teasing the guest, but teasing <laughs> that we were going to have this guest yes. uh, in, in, in recent episodes. So today, we are talking to Grady Laird. Am I, am I pronouncing your last name That's right? That's correct. Since yep. you're just... Grady. <laughs> yes. Now, it's actually Grayson, right? That's your given name? Right, but I've been known by Grady my, my whole life, yeah. Now, okay, so, and 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 Grady is the, I don't know, ex- I mean, founder, I don't know exactly what the, the business arrangements are, but of Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. Now, I know this is going to, this is, it, it's, it's easy to think like, wow, this is like an extended commercial, Josh. Like what, <laughs> sponsored the, content. what the hell is going on right. here? We've heard about sponsored content and all the, all the, you know, the end of the church state division right. and all that kind of stuff. But this is actually legit. I, I have been, um, I have been a fan of, of this cold brew iced coffee for long before uh, uh, when the podcast was just a twinkle in your eye yeah exactly (laughs) but more than that I you know I I I feel like I've had a a relationship with this with this company going back a number of years and and Grady and I have corresponded at various points uh, by email and you know I'm just I'm into the product, but I also wanted to just chat with Grady and talk about, I'm just interested in the origins of the company and the business. Because, you know, in my, in, 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 in the world, David, you and I live in, I'm kind of used to people starting like publications and stuff and, and things kind of in our space, but starting like a coffee company and even like, even, even. I can kind of, it's sort of in my experience, like, oh, these guys, th- th- this, this person started a little cafe. Like, okay, mm-hmm. you know, everybody likes a cafe, you start a cafe. <laughs> right. But starting like a coffee company is like, okay, wow, that's totally outside my yeah. experience. So, so, Grady, welcome. Thank you. I appreciate uh, you guys having me on. I've been a longtime listener and uh, really excited. Now, this is our first time meeting in person, and I'm catching that little bit of twang there and you yep. were you were just saying uh what your your background you live in new york now but you're not from new york originally no i would uh i would consider missouri my uh my home state wasn't born there but spent the uh majority of my uh childhood in uh, columbia missouri where the university of missouri is from and so uh grew up there but uh moved out to new york city right after i graduated college and have been here ever since so 18 years in, in new york now, how how do you? And I'll 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 tell. There's a story I'm going to tell in a minute. We're going to keep this in a in a in a in a, in a rough chronological <laughs> rough chronological order. How did you get into this line of work? Uh, very randomly. Um, so. At the time uh, when came up with the idea to, to start Grady's Cold Brew, I was actually in the journalism profession myself. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. I didn't um, know that. So yeah, I spent ten years in in magazine journalism. Because okay. Mizzou uh, is a big journalism school. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. Yeah, I, I did graduate with a journalism degree. Um, 
And so, yeah, I was in uh, in print production in magazines. So, so you grew up in Columbia, and then you also went to college in, in, in Columbia University? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. interesting. Got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I spent 10 years in, in magazine industry. I was a print production uh, manager, so you could say that, you Is this know, like using, like, Quark Express and all that kind of? This is this definitely yeah. a Quark. Pre-in uh, design. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was uh, in kind of a dying position in a very hurting mm-hmm. industry, as, mm-hmm. as we well know, and um, you know, I survived a couple rounds of, of layoffs, but saw the writing on the wall and, yep. and knew that my yep. time would kind of eventually be up. And so I was really kind of starting to, to search for some sort of uh, small business to start, some sort of career pivot to, mm-hmm. to make. And uh, at the time when Grady started, I was actually at uh, GQ magazine. Okay. And uh, was pretty much full time. I, I had no idea there was a journalism time. Yeah, that's here. very cool. Yeah. yeah. But right. uh, GQ, Men's Vogue, okay. Details, two of the three are no longer exist. Right. And so, right. you know, right. that's, that's where we saw things going, unfortunately. Were those all Condé Nast publications? Yeah, those right? were all Condé Nast publications. And so in this in this role, I would, you know, pretty much read every single um, page and article in, in the magazine. And at one point, I was uh, flipping through an issue, and there was an article that was titled, Suck at Starbucks. And... Uh, <laughs> This, this article taught me how to cold brew coffee, how to okay. make a coffee concentrate. I had been definitely aware of cold brew and had had some really kind of high-end fancy uh, coffee shops, but at, you know, some 4 or $5 a cup, I just didn't see how that kind of fit into my lifestyle. Now, yeah. I, I could buy a $5 beer over right, and over right, again, right, right, but right. $5 coffee was a little... <laughs> was a little much and so uh it's just funny how that works isn't yeah. it that it kind of does i think it's because i mean obviously beer is basically water too right right it's, it must be the same like uh water <laughs> water content but th- there's always this thing with coffee where like it's just water and some kind of see make some flavoring so i'm yeah. not going to pay five bucks for it and sometimes but beer, it's, just, it's like oh right, yeah to- right. totally coffee's like a means to an end it's like i just got to wake up and well, hey, 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 <laughs> don't talk like that around not, me. I'm not saying for so, me, but, you know. Okay, for, for some, some people. people. For the common herd. <laughs> right, Yeah, right. okay, all right. Uh, so, yeah, just started uh, kind of cold brewing myself. I thought this was some sort of mysterious thing that only really great coffee shops could make, and that's, that's so not So this is kind of like, you know, in a men, an article in a men's lifestyle magazine, hey, you know, kind of the way you read a thing says brew your own beer, this is brew your own cold brew iced coffee, and it gives some basic instructions, and yeah, super, you're off and running. Yeah, super simple process. Basically taught me how to cold brew using a French press, just a large French press, and so just started making it for myself, bringing it in to, to work, and, uh, you know, you'd make a, a batch and it would last you a, a full week because it's a concentrate. And uh, pretty soon after kind of doing that, word got around to other parts of GQ. And, the, you know, next thing I know, the art department, the photo department, are uh, they're asking if I could bring in some, some cold brew for them. And, again, started off just as a very friendly venture. But right. after they started kind of demanding it a little more. and it, So know. let me ask you this. And this has been sort of a, a – well, okay, let me ask you this. I have always seen – because on Grady's it says, you know, it's a concentrate. And I've always seen that as like kind of a conceit. <laughs> right. Because like I don't drink it as a concentrate. It's like you just that's that's how you drink it. Do most people dilute it with 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 water, or is that just kind of like people who aren't really up to speed and 
we're not going to look down on those people, but no like self-respecting person would do that. No, no, I think that the, the majority of people do okay. dilute it. We definitely have fans that, that drink it straight from the bottle. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I think most people dilute it. It's kind of a one-to-one ratio. So if okay. you're drinking your coffee black, you do equal parts Grady's concentrate, equal parts water. Uh, or if you're mixing in, you know, milk or really yeah, because I, I do mix in milk. So it's like I I don't I I, I certainly don't drink uh, just you know. Uh, straight, so right. I guess that's that's you know right. Yeah, you're yeah. You're, you're diluting. And, yeah. You know, coffee is the the most subjective beverage out there, and so that ability to you know really customize yeah. each yeah. cup is what I think kind of kind of makes it special. So okay, so so you you're you're you know got a little popularity going at at the you know in in the in the magazine with different parts of and so where does it go from there? Yeah, so I mean at this point you know I'm not even really charging people for it, but then. Word started to spread to other magazines within Condé Nast, and so I'd get a call from someone from Wired and someone from Vogue, and, <laughs> and I went to her. Yeah, well, at a certain point, order. you're like you're, you're you're turning over your house to the operation, <laughs> right, right? right? Okay. Um, and no, so, let me let me ask you this: so you you start this, and so there's the there's the cold brew process, which I mean I know a little about. You can tell us more about. But what are you? You know, what beans are you using? What are you? What are you putting in that makes it? Grady's or kind of proto Grady's in this early stage. Sure. So the uh, the original blend was uh, beans from Indonesia, Ethiopia, and then chicory from France, which is what makes it New Orleans style. Okay. Right. Uh, a couple of spices that make it unique to Grady's, but um, really a very, a very simple thing. And then just water. Uh, but I think that the the New Orleans style, the the chicory in it, uh, really adds a, a really subtle kind of uniqueness to it. Where right. if you're not a fan of flavored coffee, don't worry, you can drink it black, and you're right. not going to have a problem with that. But if you do pour a milk in it, something with a little sweetness, it really enhances the, yeah. the sweetness yeah. of the chicory, and uh, just makes kind of a really rich rich experience. And was the, and 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 you just. Did that because you like that kind of coffee, or or that's what the article like? How where that where no, that so angle come from? The the article definitely taught me kind of a, a good ratio to use to make a, a strong concentrate. But uh, the New Orleans style, just uh, testing around a bunch of blends, and you know, love New Orleans, love Cafe Du Monde, and, and that was an inspiration. You know, that's for when, sure. when when I was I I haven't I haven't uh, uh, drank uh, had it for a year because you know I, I I drink Grady's, but but yeah, I used to get that. All the time when I when I brewed my own coffee, that, sure, that and, and you brand. can buy that yeah. at retail yeah. in, in cans and a really high quality product. Um, so yeah, so next thing I know, I'm getting these calls from from these other magazines, and now I'm bringing with two tote bags. I'm bringing some twenty bottles, wow. big thirty two <laughs> ounce glass bottles, right, 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 and I'm just doing cash transactions in the in the elevator banks of, of Condé Nast. That's and, amazing. You know, it got to the point where I was spending more time <laughs> on the side business than, now, than the what, actual. What was it, is part of it that that I mean, because for me, I mean, there's a lot of reasons that, and here I'll say, you know, it, this is something about cold, you know, cold, the cold brew process in general. I don't know the exact chemistry of it, but it's less acidic, and you can at least with with, and tell me if I'm wrong here, but my my general understanding is that. You know, traditionally brewed coffee is just more acidic, mm-hmm. and you know you can only drink so much of it. But you're like, oh, right. You know that kind of maxed out, and and the cold brew. So why do you think it got so popular within Condé Nast? Um, I think that uh, you know cold brew was a, a brand new thing at that point. You really couldn't go to a grocery store and, and buy a bottle of cold brew, but. 
Um, I think that, you know, the first time I tried it and the first time most people try it, it's just a better version yeah. of iced coffee. Uh, it's smoother. It's more drinkable, more refreshing. Uh, as you mentioned, like the, the old way of kind of making iced coffee where you heat up a traditional pot and then kind of rapidly cool it down. A lot of the, the acids and the oils are released. And, you know, I love hot coffee, too. And that's a, a different thing. But with cold brew, it's just a really gentle process. You're essentially taking this ground coffee, ground coffee and chicory in our case, and you're steeping it over an extended period of time in, in cold water. So we do a 20-hour soak, and it just really gently releases the flavors. And, and uh, I think that people just find it to be a, a tastier version Smoother, of iced for coffee. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, so... so you're you're like uh, you know it's kind of sound like you're kind of like a drug dealer right, right? kind of you know kind of <laughs> Felt like cash on the there. barrel yeah, yeah, yeah. in the in the in the uh, in, in the in, in the, the halls in the, the stairwell office, yeah. at Condé Nast <laughs> okay so that's going on what's what's next okay so you know I, I kind of one of the bigger epiphanies I had was that all right these are the trendsetters these are the tastemakers mm-hmm. and these are the ones that are yep. genuinely addicted to this to this product and so that really kind of gave me confidence that, that as a business that that it has legs and so yeah at this point everything was just basically done out of my my home kitchen that was at the time I was living in Williamsburg Brooklyn which not not surprising there what time uh, what time what year or time frame is this this is 2011 about? okay uh, 2010 2011 when I'm when I'm doing this and uh, now at, at that point was this just kind of you know bigger versions of French presses and it's all kind of going on your kitchen table or how were you when you were at that stage how were you doing it mechanically yeah so you know just randomly trying to figure out how to scale up a a French press I mean I think early vessels that I use I went to Bass Pro Shop once and bought these huge (laughs) like kind of shrimp fryer things I used a really large glass vase like a flower vase right 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 um, so yeah, every, you know, there was no blueprint for doing this at scale, you know, anything bigger than a, than a French press. And so it was a lot of just trial and error and, and, and making these big batches. Everything was bottled by hand at this point, you know, just pouring it from yep. a, from there a spigot. There weren't those toddy machines, the big plastic jug things. Todd, toddy definitely did, did exist, um, in, in the food service world. Uh, they, they were got one, of the me one of those a couple like a few years it's back. They yeah, got me you can as basically a birthday do it. It's sort of a a pitcher container thing you make it at home and right yeah yeah and so um basically started to try to figure out how do i can make make this into a business for for real and uh had done you know a little bit of legwork going out to the kind of uh, i don't know mom pa uh specialty grocery shops in brooklyn area brooklyn kitchen um, was one of the first places that, that ever sold us. Um, so, but but sort of before you actually like committed to it to kind of test out, like, would you guys be open to this if like th- like that kind mm-hmm. of? Yeah, I would. I would yeah. bring in a, a bottle, some okay. milk, water, and and try to get them to to taste it. And uh, with with those stores, it was pretty easy. They were always kind of looking for new products, especially local ones. Mm-hmm. And so um, they took a chance on me. But I kind of in the process of doing this realized. Uh, what what areas I was horrible at in yeah. business and, and sales was one of them and um, the financial side of running a business was the other one so I started to really kind of look to see if there's someone that could uh, join me in this endeavor and um, ended up teaming up with uh, two good buddies of mine uh, Dave Sands, Kyle Buckley they're the other two co-founders. Now are they also out of the journalism world or? No, okay. completely random so Dave was selling really large uh, Xerox photocopiers <laughs> okay. and Dave is a very very yeah. hip very cool guy but that was not a yeah. cool job for him and well that's the yeah that is like i mean everybody needs 
or every business needs a Xerox machine, but that is like about as uncool <laughs> yeah. as it gets. Yeah, and these yeah. are like the huge ones, like the yeah. size of a, a bus. And yeah. then uh, Kyle had just graduated college. He's Canadian, went to McGill and uh, was playing rugby for like Canadian national team. And wow. so he had a finance background, but... Um, it you know it all all fit together and I think that probably the the biggest break that, that really launched the the company is there was an outdoor food festival um, in Williamsburg called Smorgasburg and uh, you know it really just removed the barriers of entry of, of trying to, to start a business you can get a 10 by 10 tent and you're only there over the weekends right. and you're only paying a couple hundred dollars for this spot but your your exposure was just incredible mm-hmm. I mean, it's still thousands. hugely yeah. popular and it, you know it was, it was just really great for us because you know without having to, to to bet the farm and and really um, take a huge risk with with starting this business you were able to really ease into it so I'm interested in this part because this is you know this this is where it gets into some sense of overlap with things I'm familiar with from a business standpoint so did you at one point have to go out and get a loan did you get sort of like a you know kind of friends and family to kind of how, how did you or did you did was the whole thing kind of organic growth no no it was definitely uh, the the initial investment was really close um, friends and family um, that's how, you know, I would say we really got our so, start. So is this like each of you three kind of, you know, bring, uh, you know, parents, uncles, that kind of thing and pull that money together and right. that's what you start yeah, out Yeah, and, and luckily my, my wife was gainfully employed and, and very <laughs> supportive of it because, you know, the first couple of years we weren't paying ourselves anything. And so that that was essential. But I would say that, you know, to kind of launch at, at Smorgasburg, we're talking, you know, maybe $10,000, $10, which is not nothing. But again, right. you know, it's something you can you can wrap your head around and, and not insanely risky. And we didn't all quit our day jobs right away. You know, I went from being kind of full-time freelance at GQ to just working three weeks and then two weeks and then one week. And um, Dave was the same way that, you know, we kind of eased our way into it. And um, through, you know, selling at at Smorgasburg, that was our first exposure to people that were not kind of associated either through the business or or something. These were just complete random strangers and um, they were trying it for first time. And so that is really, that was the, that was the rollout. Mm-hmm. At that smorgasburg thing, that kind of and and so, and and from there you kind of start. You say, hey, we a lot of people love it here. You should have it in your store. So, but that's really the right. that was sort of the launch plan. Yeah, that was that or was the launch the, reality. Really launched. And another big component of that is to to be a vendor at smorgasburg, you were required to have a commercial kitchen or facility or at least rent one. So this took it out of my home kitchen where I had you know no certification. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, was not not doing it up to you know, food safety standards or anything right. like that. And this really kind of forced. It. And so uh, the first uh, location, cold brewery, if you will, that, that we had was this tiny little 600 square foot um, kitchen, almost actually under the Williamsburg Bridge in this really kind of quirky building. So like maybe half the size of this, the larger room we're in right, right now, something right. like that. You okay. know, and, and tiny. Now, is, is there just like, are there kind of... Big, like if I wanted to, you know, start TPM mustard or something like that, <laughs> are there just kind of like big buildings where, like here? I mean, we're in an office building right here. You know, 
people want offices, they come here. Is it kind of similar thing with setting up kitchens? It's it's tricky, and this is you know one of the the big problems is finding manufacturing space in in the city is getting increasingly difficult, um, especially in in Brooklyn where prices are as high as they were. And are, uh, a lot of people are, are having trouble finding this. So you see a lot of people do these kind of rental spaces where it's you a bunch of businesses shared and, and doing that type of stuff. But I mean, I would assume it all but doesn't exist in Manhattan. Right. right. Yeah. yeah, you're not you're not really finding any spaces and here. That, that part of South Williamsburg has seen a ton of development lately, too. Big new luxury apartment buildings and the Domino Park project yeah. and all that kind of stuff is Yeah, I think they, they went a little far in terms of uh, the city, in terms of rezoning and, and taking things out of being commercial, manufacturing, industrial, mm-hmm. and turning them over to residential. And it went a little too far. Right. Um, so I think that they're trying to correct that a little bit. But uh, yeah, no, it was really, really tricky. We always felt that... Um, that we want to have our our own space rather than rather than a shared kitchen. Um, just the kind of autonomy of it uh, was was a lot nicer. And you know, we were there for maybe six months before it became really clear that this space was not going to be able to to hold us for very long. And so, that must have meant that that sales wise, it was moving really yeah, fast. Yeah, sales okay. wise, it was doing well. We were also uh, being at Smorgasburg, we're uh, exposed to a buyer from Whole Foods. Uh, so they have what's and they, that is how I found out about right. Brady's actually, and they they have what were called foragers at the time that, you know these these people from Whole Foods that were kind of going to these food festivals and, and trying to find kind of the next new thing. And, and and quirky products and so. Um, you know, they they asked to to bring us in, and that was that was really game changing. You know, if you get the approval from them, then every other grocery store chain. Now, was that kind of like were were you being sold by Whole Foods even before like before smaller? You know, kind of smaller chains, local places. That was, no, okay. no, definitely start off with with okay. as many independent mom and pa uh, grocery stores as as we could find that were willing. Again, you, selling into those type of stores is is a lot easier. You're, you know, you're just finding the buyer, the owner, and and having a one on one. Where when you're trying to get into much bigger chains, it's it's a whole process to try to get your product in. But um, the fact that Whole Foods was really kind of kind of um, came to you, came wasn't, to us yeah. in, in a sense, and we also. Um, you know, we had tried to contact Whole Foods and tried to get it in the attention of the buyer for a long time, and it wasn't working. And and so we eventually, Dave ended up kind of doing a blitz where he went to every actual store location and uh, served our coffee from them and had everyone kind of you know tell. Oh, interesting. Yeah, okay, tell tell the so buyer. So it wasn't that they wasn't liked it. totally out of the blue. There was some right. Okay, yeah, okay. some some effort on our part to to get in. But uh, yeah, the exposure to Smorgasburg certainly helped that. So it's interesting because when I, I and. I think, so I know how I first was introduced to it, that my wife and I, we, there's a Whole Foods uh, a couple blocks from from our apartment, and we would drink Stumptown, mm-hmm. right? Just, you know, kind of regular, our regular thing. And one time I go over there, and they're out of Stumptown, and I'm looking around like, fuck. <laughs> like, all right, you gotta be something out this, this, I try this other thing, I can't, you know, it's gotta be like, it's gotta be at least okay. Right. And that was Grady's, and I'm like, oh my God, this stuff is like so much better. Like, I'm sorry, Stumptown, it's not like you had an anti-ad <laughs> no, no, for Stumptown. No, no, Stumptown's very high quality. But, but yeah. I just preferred it, yeah. right? For me, it was, it was, it was, it was much better, and that's, you know, kind of forever. And there was actually, so wait, Am I right that it, okay? I'm not sure if this is. I don't. I don't think it was 2012. There was one of the big storms. I don't. I don't think it was Sandy. Although it might have been Sandy, or maybe kind of a storm like or 
a blizzard or something. Yeah, it was right? a blizzard. Yeah, it was a blizzard. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So 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 and you know you get that thing and this is every part of the country where you know big storms. Everybody's going. Ah, oh, gotta buy bread and milk yep. and stuff like this. And um, at the time, this was earlier in Grady's history, and I'm pretty sure that in terms of ordering it, you could. I mean, now you can order it from like. Amazon Fresh and all these different places, but at the time, uh, you you had to order directly from Grady's, and it was still you know two or three days or something like that. Even though we we're kind of in the New York area, and so storms coming in, and we have no Grady's, right. and I was like, <laughs> I was like seriously panicking, right? Because we live on this stuff, and I think I tweeted like. I know it's a storm, but this is a serious emergency. I need some Grady's. <laughs> right. And there was a a really sweet, I guess, then employee. I don't think he. Yeah, he's Corey. With, with, I remember, yeah. yeah. Who, who delivered the stuff. Like the guy who was like answering the phone at Grady's, <laughs> like in, in the sort of the pre-storm, yeah. delivers like a couple like crates of Grady's and got us through. So that, at that point, I'm like, You're you know, hooked, yeah, right? right. I've, got, I've got like... It's personal yeah. at that point. Okay, did so did you know? Sorry, Josh, just interrupt. Did you know when you made the switch from Stumptown to Grady's? Did you know Grady's was a local product as opposed I have to? Slice like, idea. Stumptown's I, a I Portland-based um, company, I think, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I also have Red Hook as well. Okay. I mean, I had the slice idea, and I and it was. I don't think I I at first gave it much thought, but I always figure with these kind of things that like you know. Grady, like you hire like Hill and Knowlton, they do product testing, and it's between like you know Dutch, Elmer, and Grady, <laughs> and they and they product tested, and it's Grady. So I didn't even know there was like a real Grady. Right. So no, I had a slice idea, slice idea. Uh, I figured it out at some point, but no, mm-hmm. just I just liked it. Yeah. So okay, so Whole Foods is a key thing now. At what like because now it's brewed in the Bronx, right? Um, and and so let me ask you this: even when you had the kind of the first location, at the point at which you're sort of, uh, you know, brewing the stuff at scale, mechanically, how's it work? Like, what kind of things do you brew it in? Yeah, I mean, at that point, we were using uh, five gallon buckets and doing, you so know, still based the same approach, pretty, just a little bit. Yeah. Once we moved uh, to and this is all the kitchen to the six hundred square foot place to six thousand square foot kind of brewery in, in Williamsburg Greenpoint. That all happened in, in one calendar year. So this this scaling up is really happening uh, very fast, and we're having to you know just kind of figure it out. Now as was we that go. like exciting or scary? Oh or yeah, that both? that was extremely exciting. You know, didn't care about because you're just like it's taken off. It's taken yeah, off, yeah. Like uh, press because you know no one's really exposed to cold brew, so it was super easy to to get a lot of publicity. It's not like we ever had a PR agent or anything like that. This is all just word of mouth, and plus our background and. In the kind of uh, journalism industry, yep, didn't yep. didn't hurt, um, but yeah, no, it was just it was flying and and it was extremely exhilarating and a lot of fun and you know even though we were working for basically free, um, it was you know passion and and so there was never any complaints right. at, at that point at all. It was all just fun. So okay, so so and and at a certain point you mo- you you now is it. Is the place in the Bronx the six thousand square no, feet? Okay, no, what that is, was uh, that's so still the, small. This okay. mid mid stage uh, when we were in it was literally on the border between Greenpoint and Williamsburg. We had we were able to choose which zip code uh, <laughs> we wanted, but. Uh, that, well, that was a bigger facility, so we went from five-gallon tanks, and now we're dr- brewing it in, in 55-gallon stainless steel drums. Um, and then we were there till 2015. Uh, same thing. Like, we were just bursting at the seams. We, we knew that um, that facility, as much as we loved it, it was really quirky. We had a, 
um, a trailer on top of a shipping container. That was our that was our office. <laughs> um, so really weird little place. Um, amazing view. Awesome neighborhood. Um, but, you know, we, we just kind of knew that we were going to run out of space there as well. And uh, initially, the, the plan was to, to stay in, in Brooklyn, loved the loved the borough, loved how we got our start there. But uh, as I mentioned before, like, you know, the, the rents were just going crazy year over year. And even though we had the lease on that place till I think 2021, we knew that it wasn't going to last and we didn't want to wait till the end of our lease and then have to start right. looking for a bigger place and, and figure, you know, everyone would be having to, to, to leave Brooklyn, unfortunately. And so we found a, a much larger facility up in, in the Bronx in Hunts Point, which is where the seafood market, the produce meat market for really all of the city is. And so uh, just a really great location. Now, what's for the us. size of that? Uh, that's sixteen sixteen thousand square feet. Okay. Now, is it is it base? Is it still the fifty five? No, okay. now now we moved to like actual legit like brewing equipment. And okay, we were kind of pulling stuff from the wine industry and the beer industry and uh, cobbling together this this cold brew. Um, so when you're doing it with like the fifty five gallon, because I can kind of visualize that, like mm-hmm. that sort of semi brewing industry kind of stuff. That just the fact that it's stainless steel. Um, but I guess it was like as many 55-gallon drums as you can kind of put in a big right, warehouse, right, basically. At one right, time. and we were, you know, we had to wheel those into a refrigerator to to brew overnight. And so, once we moved to the Bronx, that's when we really uh, stepped up the equipment. This is when we also went through a series of uh, SBA loans, okay. uh, Small Business Association, which definitely funded that that expansion. Um, and so these are, you know, thousand-gallon stainless steel tanks. They're jacketed, so. Um, there's kind of food grade uh, antifreeze that goes around and keeps everything cool. You're no longer doing everything as, as manually. Now you're kind of using pumps to transfer all the liquid instead of doing the, the bottling by hand and the labeling by hand. We have a machine that does that, a filling right. machine that, that fills and caps the bottles. And, um, you know, everything gets obviously much, much faster as we're trying to, to produce that much more. Now, how did you, in, in the process of, of scaling that, how did you because i'm pretty sh- i'm pretty sure i've been drinking it since like i think it think 2012 mm-hmm. uh maybe even or I, I don't know exactly but anyway for a long time um and before that that switch how did you and and were you concerned about that as you change the brewing process even if it's the same ingredients but mm-hmm. still you know kind of uh, scaling it that the taste is going to change and how do you prevent that sure um you know that that is tricky um and i think that a lot of people skip this step entirely and have co-packers and and people making it for them from the get-go um and you know we certainly explored that that possibility but any test that we did it came back uh, with like hints of grady's air but it was just hmm. a completely different product and so these are places where they kind of say like you know maybe if it's it's microbrew kind of like you give us the ingredient you know give us a recipe and like we'll you know we've got plants somewhere or another sure. and we'll just make it there are places like yeah that, I lots guess. and that's okay. the, the great majority of our competitors do it that way and it's a lot less expensive and you know there's there's quicker growth because they can scale up immediately. They don't have to, you know, we were doing our third essential build out for a brewery and every time is extremely expensive and it's time consuming and you have to wait for it to be up and ready before you can use it. 
And so, you know, there are definitely easier ways uh, to, to skip that. But, you know, flavor was always key to us. This is all it's personal. You know, mm-hmm. my name is on, on the bottle. And and so I could never, you know, hand someone or demo or sample and not be proud of, of what I'm serving. It would just be, you know, humiliating to me. Now, let me ask you this it is now you were saying before that that um, when you started the cold brew process was I mean, I'm sure there have been people somewhere cold brewing for a long time but in, in terms of like people buying coffee and stuff was pretty new um did you did you have to kind of if you're kind of industrialized now and using kind of like you know official brewing technology and hardware did you have to kind of make it up yourself kind of create the sort of the industrial process or or was there one waiting or how how'd that work no yeah no we didn't really just picked little different pieces from again the beer and wine industry we had some amazing help we were we were really close to brooklyn brewery and and um they were instrumental in in kind of giving us um ideas on on pricing of certain things and Mm -hmm. what equipment to get or what to avoid um they also you know at an early stage because you know in the beverage industry everyone wants you to just come out with every single flavor to take up as much shelf space as, as possible and um, you know, we've, we've always had kind of a, a different philosophy of that. And, and uh, guys at Brooklyn Brewery kind of encourage this. If, if you have one product that you can't possibly make enough of, just make more of that right, before right. Uh, expanding to all these different things. And another thing I always, you know, they always say, then I'll never ever compare ourselves to, to Coca-Cola. But, you know, if, if Coca-Cola came out with Cherry Coke and Vanilla Coke and Diet Coke and all these different varieties at the get-go, would classic be classic? You right. know, or if right. Tabasco sauce had green chili and Chipotle and all these different flavors, would that iconic bottle be what it is? Right. And so that's kind of where we were going. We want to have a really recognizable flavor of coast to coast, even internationally, that every time you pick up the bottle, it tastes the exact same way that you remember. And it's a memorable thing. You know, just now we're finally, uh, you know, are doing a couple right, flavors, a, French vanilla, French vanilla, hazelnut, and hazelnut mocha. Right, right, right. Um, but for the most part, it, it really was this kind of signature New Orleans style that that we really wanted to get into as far as and wide as possible. And, and one big, you know, difference when we were starting off and everything was kind of this really hand process, we had a really short shelf life on, mm-hmm. the, on the product. So it was only 30 days before it expired. And, and one change when, you know, we really had to start increasing our geographic reach and get stuff all the way on the west coast is that 30-day shelf life was a nightmare and so uh, once we got to the new facility we did start doing uh, what's called micro flash pasteurization uh, for for safety and that was able to extend the shelf life considerably up to, to 90 days and you know that that 60-day difference is just night and day when when you're trying to distribute and even just you know getting through a 40 serving box if it's just you or a couple people you know right it can take a little, yeah, little bit of time mm-hmm. yeah i mean it doesn't take us long because <laughs> We have all these have all these people. But um, so I would imagine that in this process, you must be a an expert at some level on all of these kind of, you know, when I visualize a brewery, whether it's coffee or beer, you know, you've got the big vats and the tubes and all this kind of stuff. You must know a ton about that, and you must have had to learn a ton about supply chain management, or right. I guess it's not so much, supp- I'm sure also supply ch- chain management, but I'm thinking just distribution. Like right. if you're talking now about, you know, getting stuff to the West Coast and all of the, and th- th- what you just mentioned there about if you're needing to move things over thousands of miles, 30 days, that's real 
that's not really right. enough time. Right. So all these, and it's I can I can relate to this because in the process of of being involved with TPM for almost twenty years now, there's all sorts of things that. I never, I never thought I a I never thought I would know anything about, but I never thought I'd be interested in knowing anything about. Right. But are actually kind of things that I'm fascinated by. So, so tell us now that you are, tell us about that having all that information in your head because of this, this the growth of this business over the last decade. Sure, um, you know I, I always want to to work in a factory. I grew up on like re- reading Rainbow, the the factory tours that they always do. Now it's how it's made or whatever it's called, but. You know, I, I was in a cubicle for 10 years and was not that happy about it. You know, I needed to escape that and I wanted to start a business where I made something tangible and, you know, as an actual actual product. And, you know, I love I love that aspect of it. I love coming to the, the brewery every day and seeing all this equipment and brainstorming on how to make things more efficient. And, you know, I, I we learned it the hard way. It was a bunch of trial and error, like our first brew tank when when we were cleaning it because you had to steam these things and ended up collapsing a (laughs) a little bit like a like a a beer can uh and it was heartbreaking and i never made that that mistake again um but yeah that's that's how we did learn everything again there was no kind of blueprint for this so it was just uh trial and error figuring it out and uh working our working our way through it now you know i think it's it's there's a lot more people doing it there's a lot of kind of turnkey solutions where you can get a whole kind of uh cold brew factory um kind of made to order really easy but uh yeah at the time we were doing this that that just was not an option it's also different than um beer you know the the camaraderie and and everything in the in the beer brewing industry is very different people are forever going to each other's breweries and and being able to take tours and stuff like that where uh the cold brew world was not like that at the beginning it's getting a little more so but it was a very proprietary thing everyone had their own methods of doing and everyone was really kind of secretive about it right um, that's one part that I do regret is how kind of paranoid, uh, and, and for, you know, good reason. You yeah. Know, there are yeah. people after my lucky charms. And, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Do you offer, do you offer any tours of your facility ever? Uh, to, to friends, to you friends, know, definitely. Yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll invite people up there that's and cool. we'd love to, to show the process and, and how it's made, but it's not open to the public. Is it, is it the kind of thing like you would ever think of having some, if not touring the, cause I, I guess some breweries, not that they you necessarily have a tour of the facility, but you have a little area a little set tap, aside, tap yeah, yeah, kind of as a part of, I don't know, marketing. Or sure. Kind of no, I mean, that, it was definitely uh, something that we did in, in Williamsburg Greenpoint, not so much in, in, mm-hmm. in Hunts Point in the Bronx right, right. yet, but uh, no, we used to have, we called it the, the factory fresh cart, and we used to just roll a little uh, coffee stand right out in front of the brewery in, in, in Greenpoint, and I love that. And we were, you know, selling coffee for $2 a cup, which is a lot less expensive than, than most coffee shops, and uh, it was fun. We could test out new flavors, new things um, really easily there. And it just gave us great feedback as well. Uh, you're constantly demoing to people and, and you know, hearing about it. And so, Now, yeah. you, you mentioned uh, SBA loans. So it sounds like now it's still the same three guys? All, yeah. All say, okay. Yeah. It sounds like you've been able to, to grow this without venture capital money and all that kind of stuff that, that I know from, from personal experience. You do that and like, wow, you got like $3 million, do all this great stuff. And like a year later, the guy comes to you with a contract, says like, 
I can tell you to sell your company right sure. now. Yeah. So you kind of, you guys are really still in control of things. Yeah, we are uh, right now. But yeah, it's it's kind of on the cusp of those those conversations. Uh, you know, great majority of our competitors have been you know bought out by huge conglomerates. Uh, Blue Bottle was bought by Nestle, Nestle right? and so, as was Chameleon, also bought by Nestle or stumped down to JAB and. Um, you know, uh, we're playing in the big leagues, and I would say that we're probably the one of the least funded kind of national national brands out there, which is which is tough. You know, so what is um, I, I don't know uh, the metrics one uses. You know, kind of number of states, the products available, volume. Give us a sense of what the size of the company is now. Sure. Um, so I think we we calculated that we had served some five million servings, I think, of, of cold brew uh, in 2018. Um, we're just under, you know, kind of 10 million mark for for revenue, but it's been, you know, it's been growing. It's 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 slower than I think a lot of people want you to be these incredible unicorns that you know make it to 100 million in, mm-hmm. in two Still years. Still impressive. I mean, um, yeah. but yeah, the feeling that this was in my home kitchen, you know, some nine years ago, I'm I'm extremely proud of it, and that's one of the things that it's frustrating the amount of pressure that you know is put on you to to keep growing and make it bigger and bigger where. You know, like a brand that I've always, you know, loved that, that kind of I look to is like In-N-Out Burger, mm-hmm. you know, this company that could have made that national expansion long ago, but uh, because they didn't want to disrupt the quality and of, of their product, and they didn't. And now I would, you know, argue that it's a way more valuable, iconic entity by taking this kind of weird route. Right, right. Um, and so, you know, that, I, I wish there was a little... Um, Less pressure at times to to just kind of slow grow, um, because you know uh, I want it to be a family business. I'm not looking to uh, to just immediately sell out. Um, I'll explore any option. Right. Uh, right. Uh, it does uh, feel but, it does feel like cold brew iced coffee in general has. I mean, just anecdotally, it feels like it's gotten more and more popular. I mean, what do yeah. you feel like is behind that? And have you seen that borne out in your own numbers? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 everywhere now. And I swear, like, every week there's a new brand that, that starts. And it never ceases to amaze me how late into a trend people will continue <laughs> pumping right. out the exact same thing with nothing that even makes it unique or anything right. like that. And it's really frustrating. But, you know, one one form of innovation that we had with, with Grady's that I think you guys are familiar with are the beanbag concept. Yep. And so when we first started... We used those for years. Yeah, and and, and when we first started, we were trying to do uh, e-commerce, and we were trying to ship these heavy glass perishable bottles. Full of liquid. Yeah, yeah. full of liquid. It was a nightmare. And we knew the kind of easy things you could do. You could put in a plastic bottle. You could do thermal processing to make it completely shelf-stable. But all these things had kind of a negative effect on either the looks or the flavor. And so instead of compromising and, and choosing one of those kind of easy routes, we really wanted to innovate and, and we kind of figured out that the the one thing that that makes it shipping it so difficult that it's so much water is the one thing that everyone has in in their possession <laughs> so why don't we just you know make the same exact blend so it's the exact same new orleans style blend that we brew in in the bronx now um, but it was in you know essentially this giant tea bag with its own little filter and so you really didn't need any special equipment so now we have a much longer shelf life a year on that on that product uh, it's a lot lighter for you know e-commerce and, and making shipping a lot easier. And 
the quality is not suffering. If, if anything, it can even be better because you're brewing it fresh right there. And so I would say within two weeks of us debuting that product, we got, uh, I saw an order. And at this time, I was looking at every single order that came in through our website. And it was two cases going to, to Starbucks, R&D. Wow. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. They, they at least be a little more covert <laughs> yeah, than that. They at least put it on there. And I, you know, should I send this? Should I not? And I'm like, you know what? I, I, I'm going to. They can get it. In a variety of different ways, and and so yeah, it should be like Star S Bucks, uh, right, right. Washington, yeah, Olympia, Washington, right. or whatever. Um, but now yeah. that that product has been, and we were the absolute first to to do that one. It's now been copied by you know everyone from from Walmart, great brands to Javalia, Dunkin' Donuts, Starbucks, and so I'm really proud that that um, we innovated and came out with a new product that now there's you know kind of a whole new section in in the dry aisle of of coffee in the category. So. Now is and and so the the. Because we now, and actually at home too, it's we're all the box, mm-hmm. right? Although we, you know, we have this thing when when I would read the ad copy, you know, when you say like, you know, you know, you say like like it's wine in a box, and everybody goes like, dude, <laughs> right. wine in a box is like that's like Thunderbird, man. Right, right. <laughs> that's not the good stuff. So is that is 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 well, I guess yeah, I have no idea, but it's 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 uh, is that how is that doing relative to the bottles? Um, no, it's 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 great business. You know, we noticed so many people that would go into a grocery store and pick up three of these yeah. these glass they're bottles. They're, they're heavy, heavy, and it's a little yeah. Um, if you're schlepping home with them, you know, it's definitely tricky. And so, uh, we came out with this product. It's our top selling product on Fresh Direct, which is you know the the really popular New York City grocery delivery service. So. You know, it's it's a lot of weight if you were trying to bring that home from the grocery store, but if it's delivered, yeah. it's convenient. I brought some home on the train from the office, so I know all about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they're 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 big. Did, wait, did I tell you? Did I did you hear the episode where I talked about slaughtering the? Did I tell you? About <laughs> no, this? no. Remember how I emailed you? Yeah. Right. Okay. Because we had this thing where, can't remember what it was. Maybe we went on, we went on vacation or. For whatever reason, one of those boxes sat on our oh, right, right. Uh, okay. on our kitchen table for like a week or two weeks. So I emailed Grady. I was like, "Come on, you know this is I, I get like you know you say like has to be whatever, but is it okay?" Right. And Grady's like, "Dude, no way. You got to throw that stuff away." And I'm like, "Ah, all right, okay, whatever." So you know, it's a it's a big thing. You can't just yeah. we have like a shoot in our in our building, so you can't do that. So I'm like, "Okay, I'm I'm just gonna pour it out," but you can't. It's full, and you can't like just the spout. You're gonna be there for whatever. So I take it out of the box. I get I get a, a sharp knife, and seriously, it's like I'm like Abraham about to slaughter Isaac here, right? It's like because it because the stuff like boom, right, like, right. like pours oh, out. It's like you're you're like slaughtering an animal or something like this. Yeah, this is like epic this, spills. In yeah, yeah this is this is uh, this is this is Grady's programming that is the unique to this <laughs> unique to this podcast. Um, so I, I guess you just keep growing and then international or 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 what's the like yeah. what's the next thing and uh, and uh, do you have a big enough space in the place in the bronx to like you can basically keep there or? yeah we have uh, our leases uh i believe until 2030 so we definitely have a good amount of time there i think we're at about i don't know maybe 50 percent capacity with current equipment we can always change stuff so there's definitely room room to grow there um we have shipped internationally um We've been sold in France, Australia, uh, Japan, China, Canada, Middle East. Um, and so, again, the beanbag product allows us to do that. You know, it's something that can go by boat to these so, other countries. So everything that's like 
kind of international has to be the beanbags? Just kind of so for the, far, we okay. are we are talking with a, a Swedish company that's interested in. Um, like they bring over a bunch of craft beer every month through, with the container ship, and the oh, wow. they might uh, start carrying the bottles in because Scandinavia. Is, that would be. A, I was yeah. going to say that seems like it would be the place to go because it does feel like internationally cold brew is still. Kind it's, of uh, in yeah, the early stages. Is it it's more an American? Of, it's taken it's a lot of it's, You know, I think that it will be absolutely everywhere. If so you go to and, Italy, it's all espresso drinks, right? right? It's a macchiato or a, just a quick kind of thing. But right? Yeah, I, I would say that there are certain it's countries country. that are a little... <laughs> they haven't innovated in a while, man. <laughs> right. You know. uh, awesome. Well, listen... Thank you so much for coming oh, thank in. You. I have thank been, you. I've been so. I, I. I don't want to diss anybody else who's been on the show, but I've been looking forward to this episode, like more, <laughs> more than anything else. I love the product, but I just like. I. I. I just. Uh, um, I. I like the product beyond that. I like consuming the product. So uh, I. I. Um, it's just cool to learn more about it. Oh, well, and thank so, you and for, so I, I guess that. I guess that. So you, you are getting kind of. The big corporations reaching out, and that's a, uh, but nothing like that is gonna, or who knows? You just have to play that by ear. Yeah, it's not, it's not in the cards right now, and uh, you know the quality will uh, stay under my watch. I taste every batch, and uh, so yeah, it's in good hands. I just have one quick question: Do you do you ever go out to coffee shops anymore? Are you drinking other people's stuff? Like, what are there places that you like to go to still? Uh, there's a little place in, in Pelham called Cafe on Me that I get my hot coffee at, and that that place is great. So yeah, no, I uh, I'll, I'll still frequent them. Yeah, yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I'm gonna. I, I, I'm going to do our ad for our uh, for our memberships. Um, we talked a lot about Grady's in this episode. Uh, the way we pay for everything TPM does is through memberships. Becoming a member means you get extra stories that we write, you get fewer ads on the site, you get to post on our special member forum, and you get a bunch of other good stuff. But it also means you support our journalism and you support this podcast. We have a special offer for podcast listeners, 20% off a TPM Prime membership. To get that offer, go to Talking Points Memo dot com slash deal that's talking points memo dot com slash deal and and you know we just had a uh we celebrated a big landmark for tpm yesterday we finally got to thirty thousand subscribers that's awesome um yeah which was a big Congrats. i mean it's 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 you know it's it's a uh sort of an arbitrary uh uh benchmark but it's a it's a really important one and and your memberships Really, are 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 what sustains this company now? It's it's almost two thirds of our, uh, re- it's between a half and two thirds, but it's a lot. You yeah, have to do. You know, absolutely. If you're if, if you've you been are, waiting to sign up, make today yeah, that day. Yeah, make today the day. It's 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 really important. And Grady, uh, for you mentioned fresh direct and stuff, but if someone is outside the New York area and they're hearing about this. And they want to try it. What's the sort of the easiest way for them to get their get get their hands on some Grady's? Yeah, definitely. Uh, if you can go to Grady'sColdBrew.com, you can buy it direct from our website. We're also available on Amazon, Walmart.com, um, and a variety of other uh, online entities. But I, I would say, if you don't mind, go to Grady'sColdBrew.com to to give it a try. Buy it direct. Yeah. Sounds good. All right. Thanks for coming by. I really appreciate it. No, thank you very much. Thanks, Grady. All right. Later, David. Bye. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. 
Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply.